Well, let's go to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, when you think of the word faith, you're probably drawn to the book of Hebrews chapter 11 as one of the primary passages of Scripture that deals with the word faith and deals with the concept of faith. We've certainly had a wonderful service tonight. I don't know about you. I think my heart has been stirred many times and encouraged in uh, all the Lord is to us. Certainly been a good day, and I trust your heart is encouraged. And tonight, I want to just be extremely practical, and just a simple verse of Scripture, try to be practical about it. And uh, I'd like to say the message is going to be short, but I'm seeing a lot of sinners out here tonight, so we might have to park on it. And uh, so anything, that's the thing, when you grow up in a pastor's home, you know that all is not necessarily well, okay, just because it's a pastor's home. Okay, back when I was a kid, all the bad kids in the church were pastors to kids, except for our, for our family. But, uh, uh, but, anyway, uh, but anyway, so I'm just having fun with you. It certainly is uh, uh, a privilege to be able to open God's Word. Uh, several weeks ago, as I was contemplating tonight, uh, to be honest with you, uh, I, I did not ask to preach tonight. Pastor asked me to preach. I kind of fought it a little bit. You say, preacher, why? I, sometimes people come to me and say, I apologize. I'm going to not be in the service when you're preaching. And you know what I say to them? If I wasn't preaching, I wouldn't be here either. I wouldn't come to hear me. Okay, so I don't feel bad about that. But anyway, so, uh, you know, I've learned in life, don't take yourself too seriously. Okay, but um, I'm just amazed you're here to hear me preach. See, there are some empty seats. Okay, that doesn't shock me at all. Okay, but anyway, I'm just amazed there's so many full seats. But, um, but you know, seriously, as I was contemplating what to preach tonight, I, uh, Lord laid this particular text on my heart, just a simple text. It won't be complex, but it is profound. I want you to look at verse number 6, and I want you to be struck with its words. A verse probably most of you could quote, and here it is. But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Tonight I'd like to preach on the subject matter, but without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now, I think all of us know that verse of Scripture, but I will tell you, we dumb down the word impossible. In fact, Americans dumb down the word impossible. We might see a phenomenal sports play and we say, wow, that was an impossible catch. No, it wasn't. It happened. You know what happens when something's impossible? It's impossible. There are certain things in life that are impossible. Now, I'm just curious. I've asked this before at Falls Baptist Church, but I'm going to ask the Victory Conference crowd, how many of you dream? You have an active dream life, okay? You dream. I, I don't know what it is. Half the crowd didn't raise their hand. I'm telling you, the most exciting things that have ever happened to me, humanly, have been in my dreams. I mean, I'm telling you. In real life, I've never been chased with a guy with a hatchet. You know what I'm talking about? Man, in a dream I've been chased, and I am telling you, was that a heart stopper? And the amazing thing is I couldn't run. I'm thinking, man, I can run. What's the deal? I can't run. How many know what I'm talking about? Yeah, okay. Yeah, that was exciting, wasn't it? That's probably the most exciting thing that's ever happened to you. And I'm telling you other things. I've fallen off cliffs in dreams. i got a fear of heights. Man, that'll kill you. But there's one thing about it that actually doesn't kill you because God worked it out this way that you always wake up before you die. I, I just think that is great that you don't have to watch the gory mess on the canyon floor. You get to wake up before you see it. You know, that's just amazing, amazing. I'm just excited about that But because uh, it would certainly not be a good thing. That'd be a nightmare. But um, there's certain commonalities in dreams. But one one commonality, I'm telling you my favorite dream, been a while, that's why I'm preaching on it, because maybe I'll dream it tonight, is I can fly. Whoa. I remember dreams so real that when I woke up, I said, oh, what a bummer, I can't fly after all. I mean, you know, and I take off over from Ruby Road, fly over the houses, come right into the church. Unbelievable. 
I remember in the dream thinking, man, I can fly. This is amazing. You know what? Without aid, none of us humanly can fly. I don't care how many times you flap your arms. I don't care how high the window is you jump out of. I don't care if you put a towel on your, uh, uh, and tuck it into your T-shirt and fly out the window. You, you know, it's not going to work. You know why? Because it's impossible. It's impossible. It does not happen. Without aid, it does not happen. Okay, we understand impossibilities. But I want you to be struck with what God's saying here. He says, but without faith, it's impossible to please God. Now, we know that. I would assume almost everybody in this room who's been saved for any length of time could have quoted that verse. But can I say this carefully? Most of us don't believe it. You say, why? Because we try to please God without believing Him. A better verse for many of us would be, without works it is impossible to please God. That's the verse we believe. But that is not the verse of the Bible. In a moment you're going to see there's nothing wrong with works or obedience. We're going to talk about that in proper place for a moment. It's just not where you start. God says anytime you meet any kind of crisis or problem in life, you always begin with believing God. Because without faith, you can't please God. Now, I will tell you something, friends. There are a lot of good things in life, but if you do it without faith, it doesn't please God. Do you know you can go soul winning and not please God? You can read your Bible and not please God. You can pray and not please God. There's a lot of things in the Christian life you can do and not please God if you do them without faith. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. Now, the amazing thing about faith, we get it when it comes to salvation, but why don't we get it when it comes to sanctification? I, uh, I remember Netcasters teaches this. My brother John years ago used to teach partial trust or split trust is mistrust. We all understand that. If you send a guy off, if you're, how many out here some kind of have somebody that works for you? Could be a pastoral staff member. Okay, you could run a business. Can I see your hands, please? All you bosses out here. Okay. You can send somebody to do a job. Guess what you do if you trust them? You don't check up on them. You figure they're going to get it done. Guess what happens when you, when you check up on them? Many times it's because you don't totally trust them. See, partial trust is mistrust. Split trust is mistrust. If you're trusting Jesus and going to church to get you to heaven, you're not saved because that's not trust. That's not to be commended. That is mistrust. You don't need to trust yourself to get to heaven. You can trust Jesus to do it all. And anytime you trust anything other than Jesus to get you to heaven, it's mistrust and it is not to be commended. So we understand partial trust. We understand mist, uh, split trust when it comes to salvation. We get that. But we don't on sanctification. We get into partial trust or split trust all the time. Sometimes, and please don't misunderstand me, the Bible says that God is a present help, but sometimes we interpret that the wrong way. It's okay, okay, God, I'll do 50% of this deal. I just need you to kick in and do the rest because I can't do it all. You know what that's called? Split trust. And if that was the way you approach salvation, you'd go to hell. <laughs> and you know what happens when you approach sanctification that way? You go to defeat. Because <laughs> it doesn't work. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. <laughs> so the place we always got to start is 
total dependence on Jesus to do what we know we cannot do unless he enables us or strengthens us to do it. Now, this is obviously was inbred in the morning um, session that I did. It's been in obviously others as well. But I felt it was important for us to take a few moments and really think about this because often we do not believe this verse. We come to crises and we got to think, what do I got to do? What are the action steps I need to do to get out of here? Now, I'm not minimizing action, and I'm not minimizing obedience. In a moment, we're going to say faith without works is dead. But please understand, the very first step you take is, i got to trust God to intervene in this thing. Amen. I've got to trust God to do what I know I cannot do. Now, I just want to give a few applications, and then we'll talk a couple other things. But first of all, I, I like uh, this uh, this uh, particular quote comes from a book called The Cure, and I used some of the quotes from that this morning. But it says, until you trust God, nothing you do will please God. Let me say that again. Until you trust God, nothing you do will please God. Now, I'll tell you something, friends. There's many times in our life where we start with doing instead of trusting. Let me just give you a few applications. Number one, humility. Humility. What in the world is humility? Many times I think we look at being humble as a step, you know, steps. Okay, if I'm going to be humble, I'm going to look at my shoelaces. I'm going to be humble, I'm going to tell everybody what a bum I am. If I'm going to be humble, and we got all these lists. But you know what humility is? I believe with all my heart, the very first thing, there's two aspects to humility. The very first aspect of humility is dependence. You know what humility is? I need God. I can't do this without God. And I like what this quote is from a book called True Faced. It says, humility requires trust. It is her core feature. Humility believes that I can trust God to teach, direct, and protect me. I am leaning into his evaluation of reality, one I did not previously have or know. That is why we define humility as trusting God and others with me. So you know what humility is? It is, as God leads us and directs us, it is being honest. It is depending upon God to be honest with God first and then honest with others that God will use to help me in where I'm going. It's trusting God to use whatever he leads us to, trusting him to lead us, trusting him to lead us to the honesty we need to have with the appropriate people. Do you know why many people stay defeated? Because they are not ever willing to trust God to be open and honest with the appropriate people. I'm telling you, friends, just a few weeks ago in the fall, it was, I think, it was Wednesday. It could have been Thursday. It was one of our war nights. We just finished our evening rally. Our team was enjoying some fellowship together. We were sitting in the kitchen there and all of a sudden, all the kids have been gone for, I mean, half an hour, 45 minutes, maybe an hour. Been gone for a while. All of a sudden, the car pulls into the parking lot. It's probably 10 o'clock. Young man gets out of the car, walks in. You could tell that he was on the edge of verge of tears. He was 16 years old. He was one of the big athletes in the school, one of the leaders in the school. You'd have probably said, thought to yourself he was the best kid in the school. He seemed like a good kid. He walks into that kitchen, and I called his name, and I said, how can I, can I help you? He said, yeah, he said, I need to talk to you. I could tell it was serious. I said, you mind if your youth pastor comes? He said, no. I said, you mind if your team captain comes? He said, no. We sat down and he began to weep. He began to sob. 
I think the year was seven. I could be wrong about that. He said, for seven years, he said, I've been hooked on pornography. For seven years, I've been hooked at looking at filth. And he just sobbed. He said, you are the first people I have ever told. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. That's not unusual. When you're working with young people, that kind of stuff happens all the time. I remember when my son-in-law traveled with me in the fall of 2020, I could tell you every week he had a group of young men around him, many of them sobbing and weeping, talking about their failure and what they were looking at. And I will tell you, friend, that is always the first step. I, I, I believe with all my heart. In fact, I've never known anybody to overcome secret sin without exposing that it's no so it's no longer secret. You've got to get it out to the appropriate people. And it's a remarkable thing when you do. And when you do, my friend, God will free you as, as you begin to apply some of these truths. And your testimony will then become impactful in the lives of others who are struggling with the same secret sin. And they will be encouraged. And that's why often my son-in-law was able to minister to those kids because his testimony opened their heart to him. And I am just telling you, friends, it's a remarkable thing. You know what humility is? It's trusting God and others with my junk. <laughs> but the truth is, we're more interested in what people think of us than we are getting free from our filth. And humility is trusting God. You keep sin secret, I'm promising you right now, you are not trusting God and you are not pleasing God. And I'm talking to men in this room and ladies in this room. The main, if you're a teenager, you need to be lying to your parents. Or maybe a, even a pastor, you need to get with people and say, listen, I don't care what it takes. i got to get free. I'm going to trust God to deliver me. And it starts with getting open. You don't get free in the darkness. There's power in light. Much more will be said tomorrow. Got a whole message on the power of light. But I want you to understand, I like what this first phrase says. Humility requires trust. You have to trust God. Say, so I'm not worried what people think. I'm going to trust God, and I'm going to expect Him to lead me to the right people. I'm coming clean on this thing. And you know what I found when people start coming clean? They don't care who knows. They just want to get free. I remember one kid in Landa Lakes, Florida, 150 kids in a student body. We had an afternoon testimony service. Man, this kid gets up and testifies. He said, man, I've been looking at garbage. He said, I'm sick of it. I'm done with it. I don't want that stuff anymore. And I'm telling you, 150 students, he just lays it out there. I'm looking on the front row watching a senior in high school. The kid, I'm telling you, rarely have I seen a kid in more agony. That kid literally was just like this, his face. He was fighting a battle. Before that testimony of service was over, went an hour and a half, by the way. And, man, that kid got up, and he, man, he said, man, when so-and-so got up there, I knew what I, I, I got to get this junk out of my life. And, man, he, he, you know what happens with these guys? They don't mind 150 people now. I mean, their point is, I want free. I don't care what it takes. I recognize some of that's uncomfortable. I get that. I get all that. Revival is very uncomfortable. <laughs> when God shows up, people start getting right with God and spilling their guts. Uh, I'm telling you, it's very uncomfortable. <laughs> Somebody said revival's messy. Sure, it's messy. But I will tell you this, when people start trusting God and say, I don't care what it takes, I'm trusting God and who he leads me to to help me with this stuff. I'm telling you, friends, that's the step of faith. You're trusting God. Humility requires dependence. It requires trust. First in God and then whatever God leads you to do, which is often trusting others that God can use in your life.
So humility. How about this one? Number two, confession or victory. You say, well, preacher, I, I, I confess my sins to God. Isn't that a step of faith? Now, here's how we often handle it. In fact, just a few weeks ago, and uh, I was just here for a short amount of time, I think uh, we talked about this here at the opening services just briefly in a short thing I had to say to the, some of the students. But here's what we do. We come first John 1 9 and we say, No, Lord, this, 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 this. Oh, thank you for cleansing me and forgiving me. That's wonderful, isn't it? But here's how we're thinking God, thank you for cleansing me. I'll be back tomorrow because I'm pretty sure I'm going to fail before tomorrow. Right. Don't miss this. We ask God for forgiveness, expecting Him to forgive, but we are not expecting victory. Right. You say, Well, preacher, I've tried that. I've tried to expect victory and then I get defeated and my faith's blown wide open. May I say this? When you trust God for victory and you fail, God is telling you in that failure, I want to teach you something because there's something you don't get yet and you need to get it. And the only way you're going to get it is to fail again. So you'll understand. But the point is, the next time you fail, you're saying, okay, God, what is it I'm missing? Show me what I need to understand here because I'm expecting victory. Are you tracking with me? The point is, we get discouraged, we get defeated, we say it didn't work, and the truth is, God's up in heaven saying it worked exactly like I planned. You didn't get it yet, so I wanted you to understand something, so I let you fail. And I'm telling you right now, you better learn it because you're expecting victory. That's where I'm going. Amen. But we don't believe it. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Listen, friends, if you've got a besetting sin in your life, you need to not just ask God to cleanse you and expect His cleansing. Listen, some of you got that down. Hallelujah, praise the Lord, all thrilled about the cleansing power. That's a wonderful thing. But why don't you expect God to give you victory? Because the Bible says that's what it's all about. Amen. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. If you're not expecting victory, that does not please God. You say, well, preacher, I, I have a track record of defeat. So who are you going to believe? Like we talked about this morning, your track record of failure, you're going to believe what God says. Amen. I'm saying without faith, it's impossible to please God. It is impossible. It's not like it's a bad deal. It's impossible to please God. How about a third application? Loving God and others. Can I, can I, I know sometimes we say, well, it's not too hard to love God. I mean, sometimes it is. But loving others, well, that's a tough one, isn't it? You don't have to raise your hand, but anybody ever been tough to love? You say, Preacher, I don't know about that. Well, go into my ministry working with uh, Christian school teenagers. That's a, that'll test you. No, don't get me wrong. Most student bodies I come into, I fall in love with the kids. But there's a few that I'm thinking, these kids, I want to strangle these kids. I will tell you, it is not within our natures to naturally love people who don't like us. Have you ever noticed that? You know what we often try to do? We try to love people. Okay, I'm going to kill me. I'm going to love this person. You know what I'm talking about? See me men out of that woman. I'm telling you, she frustrates a fire out of me, but God says to love your wife. Okay, I'll grit my teeth. Love her if it kills me, you know? And the wife is just so romanticized by that. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, my husband, he grits his teeth and loves me despite the fact he doesn't want to. You know, I mean, that doesn't work real well, does it? Yeah. You see, here's the point. Many times we know we ought to love others and we know we ought to love the unlovable and we know we ought to love difficult people and we know we ought to love God and so we try hard to do it. And you know what? It doesn't please God. Because the Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God. 
So you know where we need to start? God, I don't love that person. <laughs> but you do. And I'm depending on you to give me a love to love that person. I'm volunteering to be a channel of your love to that person. And I'm expecting you to do it. Because that's what faith is. It expects God to do it. And we all know the verse. We love God because... Yeah, see, it starts with, okay, God, you know, here's the point. If you want, you say, I struggle with loving somebody or I struggle with loving God, it all begins, like we talked about, I believe, earlier in the day, it all starts with receiving his love. Because when you learn to receive his love, it is an automatic response to love others. You love everybody. Hey, people don't like you. You just love everybody. When you are living in the reality of the love of God, it is not hard to love everyone. You know why? Because it's his love that is flowing through us. And it's an automatic thing to love God. There's not a person in this room who has ever been having your time with the Lord and God all of a sudden showed up and manifested himself. And when God manifests himself, you are loved. It's part of who he is. Your automatic response is walk out of that time and say, I love you, God. It's not hard. It's automatic. You know why? Because, friends, that's the response of faith. When we trust God and believe it because what he said so, and we trust that he's going to meet with us and he's going to work, it's, uh, that's where it starts. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, though. I like this quote here from True Faith again. In God's world, receiving love comes before giving love. We learn how to love only when we learn how to receive the love of God and others. How about this one? The calling of God on your ministry. For some of you out here, God is calling you to preach. I just love it when a young man is, comes to me and says, Brother Van Gelderen, I think God might be calling me to preach. And uh, there's only one problem. I don't think I can do it. And you know what my answer to that? Join the club. <laughs> who of us thought we could do it? In fact, the ones in Bible college who thought they could do it aren't in the ministry anymore. <laughs> But I remember all of us that showed up scared after that thinking, oh, I know you've called me, but I'm not sure I can do this. Then some silver-tongued freshman gets up, man, I'm telling you, he's suave, you know, and, and uh, he just kind of can speak off the cuff, and you're thinking, man, I don't got that. And I will tell you, friends, when you try to go into the ministry in your own strength and your own effort, you're not going to make it. 1 Thessalonians 5, 24, faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. I'm telling you, friend, when God calls you, he will enable you to do what he has called you to do. I tell young people all the time, God does not call the gifted. He gifts the called. Amen. And many times when you respond to the call, you don't see the gifting yet. You're just following him. And here's the point. I want every young man out here, any young lady out here, sense a call to full-time Christian service, here's what you need to do. You need to go into it saying, God, I, I, I don't think I have what it takes, but I'm trusting you to give me what it takes because you've said faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. And I'm expecting you to do it. You know why? Because that's what faith is. And when you trust, God have God's call in your life, and you trust and begin to take steps out, you know what God does? He does what you never thought would ever be done. I'm telling you, friends, the greatest thing in the world is follow God's call in your life. I tell young people all this time, I said the greatest thing about the will of God. I'm telling you, friends, this is true. I've said this many times, but the greatest thing about the will of God is it's the greatest thing. <laughs> There's nothing else any better for you. And when God calls you to do something, friends, don't trade places with anybody. Right. 
Do the will of God. You know the one thing that you'll, you'll know you're in the center of God's will when you think you got the best job? I'm convinced my, past, my pastor's got a good job, but it's not as good as mine. Now, he thinks the opposite. He thinks he's got the best job, and he feels sorry for me. I'll be honest with you. I think I've got the best job on the planet. I, I feel sorry for some of you pastors. You know why? You're going to stay in the same place with the same people. That's boring. I get to move around. You know, like it is. After one week, I'm thinking, okay, yeah, okay, that's great. Let's go on here. Okay, this is great. Man, I get in my truck on Saturday, and I'm telling you, I am as happy as a lark. Man, drive to the next place, find out a much more, a bunch of more carnal kids that are, couldn't stand you. And, you know what? Wonder why you're there. And I'm thinking, man, this is great. You know why? God called me to do it. I come into Christian school, the principal walks up to me and says, Brother Van Gettel, we're glad to have you here, but man, we got to have a great year. The kids are great. The kids are right with God. They're living for God. I'm thinking, who needs me? I'm going down somewhere else. Uh, give me a bunch of kids who need God. Need God. <laughs> That's what I want to go to. See, God's called every one of us to do something, and I will tell you, you will never be fulfilled and satisfied until you are in the center of God's will. I'm telling you, friends, I've just had, I just remember one man coming up to me about late 50s, tears in his eyes, and he said to me, Brother Van Geldren, I have wasted my life. Hey, some of you young people, you don't want to get to 60 and say you've wasted your life. And I'm telling you, you get out of the will of God when you're 21, thinking I can come back. Yeah, you're going to wake up about 49 and realize a whole lot of years went under the bridge. Here's the point. You say, preacher, I can't do it. Follow God's call in your life and he will do it. Amen. See, but without faith, it's impossible to please God. Now, I could never have predicted the twists and turns of my life, and certainly I could have done, trusted God a whole lot more than I have, but I will tell you this, it's been a fun journey. <laughs> to look back and see, look what God did. I still can sometimes stand in front of a bunch of teenagers who need Jesus and preaching the gospel. I'm telling you, that fires me up as much as Mark Gilmore preaching to a bunch of nationals out in the jungles of Africa. You know what I'm talking about? That lights his fire. That frustrates the fire out of me. You say, why? I can't stand interpreters. <laughs> they call them interrupters. Man, they ruin me. You say, preacher, why? I, I don't know. I don't know how to explain this, but when I stop, you know, I have to stop. I forget where I am. <laughs> when I'm preaching, I've already got three sentences in the future you don't even know are coming yet. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> you stop me, I forget the next three sentences. <laughs> don't get me wrong, Pastor Gilmore, that lights his fire. <laughs> Listen, friends, you've got to find where the will of God is because wherever the will of God is, you're going to think, man, this is the greatest thing. There's sometimes I'm up there preaching thinking, man, this is so much fun. Yes. Amen. There's not a video game on planet Earth that can equal standing in front of a bunch of teenagers who need Jesus and preaching the gospel. Amen. Not a one. Because that's what God called me to do. Yes, and I'm telling you, friends, God says he's faithful. He's called you. He'll do it. But the thing that will stop him from doing it if you don't follow his call on your life. When you follow his call, you start with faith. God, I need you to do this. God, I can't do this. But follow the burden. I mean, whatever God's called you to do, follow your burden. Because there's some burden. For me, it was teenagers. In college, I was always doing teenage outreaches. One thing led to another, and pretty soon I'm thinking, 
I'm getting in my 20s, I'm thinking, yeah, I'm doing what God called me to do. They call it living the dream. I'm telling you, friends, don't miss the will of God in your life. Amen. You say, well, preacher, this happened and this happened and this happened and this happened. Listen, Satan will do everything he can to get you out of the call on your life. I always get grieved when somebody that you know is God called turns aside to do something that God didn't call them to do. I'm not saying I, I'm omnipotent. I don't know everything, but sometimes as a preacher, you've got a pretty good chance thinking, I don't think they're following God's call on their life. You know why I'm grieved? I think of the thousands of people who go to hell because they did not follow God's call on their life. And I want to tell you something, young people. When you follow God's call on your life, I'm telling you, it won't always be easy, but you will have a fulfillment and satisfaction you will not find anywhere else. You know, Satan comes along and he says this to young people. Man, if you obey God and you surrender to God and you do God's call on your life, he's going to make your life miserable. You know what I'm thinking to myself? If God wanted to make your life miserable, he could do that without your surrendering to him. <laughs> In fact, a pretty good chance that's probably what he would do. <laughs> I'm sometimes we're just not thinking about it. But I'm telling you, you know what, faith? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Hey, believe God's call on your life and God will do it. My dad was 14 years old. He was sitting, I think, near the front of the church. His pastor was preaching. My dad, they say, stammered so badly he could barely put two words together. My uncle said before he died, after my dad died, before my uncle died, he said, your dad, dad stuttered so badly when he was in high school he could barely put two words together. He was sitting in the church there and his preacher was preaching and he thought to himself, this guy is boring. And uh, my dad was always one to tell the truth. I remember being in preacher's meeting and he'd lean over and say, this preacher hasn't got it. He's boring. Hey, he would, yeah, I'd never really been disillusioned in life about the ministry because my dad was always cutting a straight shot. Okay, but anyway, we'd go to church and my dad would say, the music is going to be horrific, but man, the preaching's going to be great. Okay, so I, I just, uh, you know, whatever. Okay, but, uh, but anyway, I was back in the 70s. But um, uh, so... Um, He's sitting in that pew, and all of a sudden, they think, man, this is boring. This guy's boring. Man, what a bad deal. He said, it's bad enough to sit here and be seated and be bored. Think of that. He thought about that poor preacher and think, that guy's got to stand and be bored. <laughs> Some of you are probably thinking about that, about me. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and at that moment, I know this is unusual, but at that moment, the Holy Spirit said, that's what I want you to do. My dad always had a burden not to bore people. He really did. And uh, he made the mistake of telling my praying grandmother, who you've already been introduced to by Pastor Van Gelderen's uh, lecture or uh, uh, session, and he made the mistake of telling his mother, who had been praying and had given him to God years before and was convinced he was called to preach. Now, she was extremely concerned that he was going to run from the call because of his speech impediment. She wasn't worried about that. So uh, she said to my dad, uh, Wayne, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what let's do. Now, I do not recommend this. I do not recommend this unless you have the kind of prayer life that my grandmother had. But she said, Wayne, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go hear three different preachers here in Miami. And if all three preach on Jonah, since Jonah ran from the call, you're called to preach. And if any of them don't, you're not. Now, again, don't do that unless you, you have a prayer life like my grandmother. 
Now, I was back in the day down in Miami, Florida in December and January. Every well-known preacher in America would go there and preach. Wouldn't you? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> no air conditioning back in those days. And uh, believe it or not, that was the only time of the year that, that Florida would be even, would be nice. And so uh, uh, they, they would just be about perfect. And, and so uh, there, I think it was Barnhouse and others would come down there. And, and so uh, sure enough, they went to a church. It wasn't their home church. Went to a church. They having a meeting. I think one of them was Barnhouse. I can't remember all the three names of the preachers. But my dad said it was quite unusual. Here's 14 years old, comes in the auditorium, sits down. The pastor gets up or the preacher gets up and said, you know, folks, this is strange. I came in here with another message, but I feel strangely constrained tonight to preach on Jonah. <laughs> well, that could just be a coincidence. You know what I'm talking about? When you're a 14 year old kid, that's just one. You got two more to go. <laughs> Next church, same thing happens. Preacher gets up. I don't get this. I wasn't planning on to preach this tonight, but tonight I got to preach a message on Jonah. Now you're getting a little worried. You know, I'm talking just one more. Third preacher got up, same thing happened, and my dad never doubted his call to preach. <laughs> Say, preacher, why do you think God didn't do that for me? Because you didn't need it. But my dad, with his stammering, did. And I will tell you, friends, the Lord called him, and the Lord did it. <laughs> He went, uh, part of it was human. He went to uh, Bob Jones College back in the day, got great speech training, and got speech therapists to help him with some of that. And, but some of it was just divine deliverance, no doubt about it. A lot of divine deliverance as well. He was a speech minor. He understood that, so there was a human side to it. But the divine side was far, uh, far more prevalent in his victory. But faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. There's a young man out here tonight, God's calling you to preach, and you're pushing God off because you don't think you can do it. But here's what God says, believe me and you'll please me. Just trust me, trust me and follow God's call on your life. God will make a way. I can't tell you how God will make a way, but God will make a way and you will look back and think, well, that was a miracle and that was a miracle and that was a miracle and that was a miracle. I think back to my 20s and I don't know if there's any pastors in this room that had me in my 20s because you're probably in your 80s if you did. But anyway, if you had me back in your 20s, man, God bless you for doing that because I will tell you, friends, I wouldn't have had me in my 20s. <laughs> But God makes a way and he opens doors and he gives you people that love you and pray for you. And I will tell you, friends, if God's called you, he's faithful, but you got to believe it. So God's calling your life. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. There'll be times in your life and ministry when you have to take a stand. Now, I realize every generation's different. Every generation fights different battles. Every generation has different stands. And sometimes, you know, I think sometimes we've done a disservice to... Young people saying a conviction is something you're willing to die for, but in our culture at this moment, that is extremely unrealistic. You know what I call a conviction? Something you're worth, you're willing to pay a price for. In fact, I don't believe it's a conviction until you pay the price because you realize this is what God's called me to do. We all know the book of Ephesians, chapter number 6, when it talks about spiritual battle, talks about stand, therefore. But may I tell you, a stand must begin. With faith. Or it doesn't please God. But when you stand pleasing God, you know what he does? He divinely intervenes. I remember years ago reading 
an article written by uh, one of the Houghton brothers who was out of Faith Seminary in Ankeny. Anybody familiar with the Houghton brothers? Uh, they actually were evangelicals. And my dad, uh, in his ministry, uh, they, uh, through his ministry, they moved into more independent Baptist fundamental uh, realm. That was years ago, 60s. But anyway, I remember reading an article by one of the Houghton brothers on the demise of an institution. They said there's four stages in the demise of an institution. Number one stage is the cause. There's a cause and there's sacrifice because of that cause. Number two is building infrastructure to maintain the cause. In other words, if you had a college, you begin to build a campus and you begin to build things or a church plant, you know what I'm talking about, then you begin to add things, infrastructure to support the cause and all that's good. But number three is, is the dividing line. That's when the infrastructure becomes more important than the cause. And number four is the de demise. So there comes a point when the infrastructure is being built for the cause that you know that the, the institution is still alive when the cause is more important than the infrastructure. That there's a willingness to lose the infrastructure to maintain the cause. Are you tracking with me? It was in the 1950s. My dad told me that Dr. Bob Sr. at the time was contemplating having to take a stand on ecumenical evangelism. There was a well-known evangelist at the time that had had an uh, infidel on his platform as one of supporting pastors uh, who did not believe in the blood atonement. And, and uh, it, was, it, was, it was an issue that was becoming to a head in the late 1950s. And, and uh, he was contemplating the fact he was going to have to take a public stand. But he knew it would cost him. So Dr. Bob Sr. went to R.K. Johnson, who was the financial officer at the time at, at Bob Jones College, it was called, and my dad at that time was just freshly out. I don't even know how he came into understanding this story or knowing about it, but Dr. Bob Sr. went to R.K. Johnson and said, R.K., how many students can we lose and still keep the doors open? R.K. Johnson said, Dr. Bob, give me some time. I'll figure it out. It is said that R.K. Johnson came back to Dr. Bob Sr. and he said, Dr. Bob, we can lose this amount of students and I think we can stay open. And Dr. Bob Sr. said this to R.K. Johnson, we're going to have to close the school. You know what he meant by that? We're going to have to take the stand because the cause is more important than the infrastructure. And do you know what happened to Bob Jones College at that time? It exploded for two decades. You know why, friends? Because when you believe God, he, that's, you, you please God. He loves it when men believe God. This, the cause is more important than the infrastructure. Uh, loyalty to Jesus Christ is more important than the infrastructure. I'm telling you today, we live in a day of pragmatism. You know what today often would happen when there comes to a situation like that? I think many times people say, well, we don't want to lose the infrastructure. <laughs> How about child rearing? Another application. Child rearing. You know, I don't know, and I know, and I just want to say ahead of time, I am not an expert on child rearing. I, I was at one time. My wife and I had 11 years of marriage, and then, uh, then we had our first child. Had five miscarriages, then Stephanie was born. Ryan is really glad that happened. But anyway, um, Stephanie was born. And uh, in those 11 years, I was an expert. 
I mean, I really feel bad. You didn't know me back then because I could have fixed you. I could have said, yeah. I, I, yeah, I remember going to the grocery store and thinking, seeing some kid have a meltdown. And if that were my kid, that wouldn't be happening. <laughs> you ever said stuff like that? Yeah. <laughs> then Stephanie was born. Yeah. <laughs> I was sure in the hospital she was an angel incarnate. I was sure. I sure there was no sin nature. I, I was sure, absolutely sure. About 18 months later, I was contemplating the fact she might be demon-possessed. Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Don't worry. She, she broke. I mean, she, she, I remember the day she broke. I can tell you she probably doesn't remember, but I remember when God did, it, did a work in her heart. But, you know, friends, it's like this. You know what I learned? God, I need you. You know, I started parenting with, I got this. I can do this. You know what God taught me real fast? No, you can't. <laughs> That's right. But without faith, it's impossible to please God. Sometimes parents say, well, preacher, I did everything I thought. Okay, here's the point. You started with the wrong premise. You don't start with obedience. You start with faith. <laughs> I want to ask a parent, every parent, a question. The Bible talks in the Hebrews chapter 11 about obtaining promises. You know what you need to do with child-rearing promises? Obtain them by faith faith. Amen. In other words, there were times I'm thinking, this ain't working. <laughs> this Bible verse doesn't seem to be correct, that child. It's not working. I got a child that's brain dead. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> do you ever discipline a kid and then he does it again? Have you ever done that? And then you discipline them and they do it again and they do it again. I'm thinking, this isn't working. <laughs> you know what I learned? You do what the Bible says and believe it will work because he said so. See, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Child-rearing begins with claiming promises. God, I don't have this. I can't do this. I got your promises, and I'm going to trust you and obey, but I'm doing it in dependence on you because I can't magically work in their hearts. Now, I'm going to obey you, do what you say do, but I'm trusting you. Do you see the difference? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Now, I'm looking around this room and seeing a lot of single guys, so this one's for you. Finding a wife. <laughs> yeah, Proverbs 18, 22. Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. All these single guys will not admit it, but that's their life verse. That is their life verse. They've got it memorized. They meditated on it every morning. That's their verse. Okay, yeah, he that findeth a wife findeth a good thing. Yeah. But here's the point, friends. Now, I, I want to tell you, I'm all for faith. In, in, obviously, that's the whole key, faith. But there's, and let me, if I could get controversial for a moment, can I say this? The method of courtship won't cut it without faith. Now, I'm all for a model that really is faith, in, just faith, just saturated with faith. That's what I'm all for. But I will tell you this, I've seen many people worship the methodology without trusting God, and it doesn't work. Amen. And anybody who knows anything have known that even some of the early leaders in that particular movement have absolutely turned their back on what they believed, and I'm going to tell you why. Because it didn't start with faith. Because I'm going to say, say it to you this way, and I know this is going to jar some of you. I just like to jar people. Okay, they listen better. Okay, here it is. 
Dating with faith is better than courtship with no faith. Now, what I'm trying to say is this. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Every young man in this room needs to start. You better start with faith. You say, well, preacher, I thought it was so-and-so, and they said no. Okay, get on your knees and get along with God and figure it out. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because God has an answer. God knows. I know it's not easy. It's messy. It's not, it's not a, it's sometimes it's not a simple thing, but I will tell you this, at the core of all of it, it's trusting that God knows what he's doing. And everybody's journey, if we'll trust God, he'll get us to the right person at the right time, the right way. But it all starts with faith. Believing God. Now, you say there's many other applications we can make, but I hope you're getting it now. You can talk about soul winning. Uh, well, I mean, let me just talk about soul winning for a moment. A few years ago, somebody sent me a little clip about somebody teaching people how to soul win. I read it, I, I, I watched it, and I was so grieved. You know why? Because it was nothing more than salesman techniques. Talking about tapping your Bible a certain way, grabbing the hand a certain way, saying a certain thing, always ask questions where they have a yes answer. You know what I found when the Holy Spirit's working? You can totally mungle it and bungle it up, but they still get saved. See, you, you depend on salesman techniques to win people to Jesus. It does not please God. But I'll tell you what does please God. When you believe that the gospel is so powerful, all you got to do is proclaim it, and it's like dynamite. Amen. Amen. See, it starts with faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. You know how you get something from the Word of God? starts with faith. God, I need you to teach me. I can't understand this book. God, I need you. That's where it starts. Listen, you can have a doctor's degree, no Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic, and the little Greek going down the, the, that has a bakery down the road. You can know all that stuff. But if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you do not understand the Bible. See, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, you can't understand. You can't be spiritually impacted by the Word of God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. I'm just, you know, sometimes you, we, we hear stories of faith, and I, I get stirred by stories of faith, but sometimes we think we get faith in the wrong idea. You know what faith starts? Faith is the guy out in the ocean screaming and yelling to the lifeguard to rescue him because he's drowning. That's faith. That's where it starts. It starts with screaming and yelling, God, I need you, and I'm expecting you to do it because you said you would. Anybody can do that. Can you scream and yell? <laughs> I think all of you, if you were drowning, would do a real good job exhibiting faith. You know what I'm talking about? Hey, help me, save me. Why don't you try that with Jesus sometime? Amen. Call unto me and I will. You know why? Because a call is asking Jesus to do the impossible because you can't do it. God always answers a call. You know why? Because a call, and I've got a whole message on this, but a call always starts with believing God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Now, just as we wind her down here, how do we detect unbelief? I've got to make this quickly. I'm just going to mention it. Number one, disappointment. Disappointment is the first step toward unbelief. I think it's important to set up in your life little red flags that show you, you know what, I'm getting off the pathway of faith. And the first one is disappointment. You might have thought I was going to say discouragement, but before discouragement is always disappointment. There in 1 Peter, in the King James, it says, He that believeth on, me, uh, on him is not confounded. That word confounded has the idea of disappointed. 
The moment you and I become disappointed, we're already stepped into unbelief. But you know what happens? Disappointment always leads to discouragement. Discouragement leads to depression, and depression leads to despair. <laughs> but it all starts with disappointment. We're disappointed. Why this didn't happen the way I thought it was going to happen. We're disappointed. Uh, why didn't I have a flat tire? We're disappointed, et cetera, et cetera. And the moment you and I get disappointed, let me encourage you to do something. It's a warning flag. And get on your knees and say, God, I just got disappointed, but I'm not going to get so disappointed. I'm trusting that you're working even though I can't figure it out. But without faith, it's impossible to please God. Disappointment. Number two, disobedience. That's pretty obvious. Faith without works, obedience is dead. We all could call that dead works. It would be the flip side of that is where there's works, but there's no faith. Let's grit your teeth, try hard, do it. Obviously, defeat. I've said this before, but failure is God's reminder. You cannot live the Christian life in your own strength. And anytime you and I become defeated, it indicates we've been in unbelief. Now, those are just quick markers. Could preach a whole message on that. What was my intent? But I'd just like to conclude with this. Okay, preacher, how do we nurture faith? How do we nurture faith? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So how do we nurture this faith? Because every one of us here, obviously, we're recognizing, wow, if without faith, it's impossible to please God, then I want to I be a man of faith. I want to nurture faith. There's several things, but I'm going to just try to move through them quickly and just kind of probably park on the last two. The first would be remembering the works of the Lord. Psalm 77, 11 and 12 says, I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. I will meditate also of all thy works and talk of all thy doings. You know what encourages your faith for any of you that have lived any length of time is to go back and remember and recall when God intervened in your life in the past. And you know what it does? It stirs you. Go back and remember the past miracles. And if you don't got any in your life, go back to people who walk with God or go back to the Word of God and recount the wonders of old. And you know what happens? If God could do it for them, He could do it for me. Gideon put it this way, where be all the miracles? God, we need some fresh ones. I need some fresh ones. Secondly, the presence of God. I think most of us understand the fruit of the Spirit. The Bible says is faith. And the fruit of the Spirit, when you're walking with God, when there is spending time in the presence of God, spending time behind the veil, what happens? Your faith is stirred. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There's something about getting beyond the veil, spending time with God, that encourages your faith. In fact, I don't think anybody in this room has ever spent time with God where God began to minister to you where you did not leave that time with your faith stirred. Thirdly, dependent obedience. Dependent obedience. Now, as we mentioned, without faith, you start with faith. But it's interesting to us that God says this, faith, help me out now, without works is? Yeah. yeah. So true faith, in order for it to cycle into greater faith, must be accompanied with obedience. It's like the songwriter said, trust and obey. obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. I was going to mention this this morning. It was in... Um, 
the notes, but I just want to read this. A um, uh, couple of things here that I thought were helpful. George Crabb in his book, Depression, said, we don't, don't feel our way into good behavior. We behave our way into good feelings. If we wait until we feel like doing what's right, we may never do it. Jesus said in John 13, 17, if you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. Now, we do them in dependence upon God. It starts with faith, but faith always results in obedience or it's not faith. I like what Duncan Campbell in discussing the widow in 2 Kings 4, whose two sons gathered vessels into which oil was to be poured, made this comment. Think of the replenishing and the empowering of obedience in the woman. In dependence upon God, as she took those vials and she began to pour those oil, God began to do the miracle. But it would never have happened if she didn't obey God and pour the cruise of oil into those larger vessels. See, that obedience is replenished. It is empowered by God. Why? Because it's dependent upon him. It's dependent obedience. She knew there was just a little bit in that cruise. She knew that it would just fill the bottom, but she did it because God told her to do it. She was depending upon God to do what she could not do, but she would not, her faith would not have been empowerful if she had not obeyed. I don't know about you, but when you follow God in dependence upon Him, He increases your faith. There's not a preacher in this room knows when you prepare, trust God, get up, preach, and God meets with you and God works, that your faith isn't more encouraged at the end than when you begun. So dependent obedience. One last thing, the obvious one, the Word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. There's many times I think you and I know when we come to a need in our life and we're reading the Word of God and all of a sudden something pops off the page and God says, you can claim that. We know that man, our faith gets stirred. We know that God's on the deal. And when we move forward, yes, faith. But you know it's like this, friends. If you don't put the Word of God in the tank, your faith's going to run dry. Doesn't matter what kind of vehicle you have, doesn't matter how nice it is, doesn't matter how much it costs, doesn't matter how many nice things are on it. I've learned this about vehicles in traveling. If there's no fuel in them, they don't do you any good. It takes fuel to make them effective and make them useful. And you know what that fuel is? It's faith. But that faith, my friend, comes, as I mentioned, from some of the things, but most importantly, it comes from the Word of God. Now, I'm telling you, friends, that's why the extended time with God and spending time in studies, spending time with the Word of God is so critical because it stirs, increases, it fills the tank with faith. I have told this story before. It's quite embarrassing, but I'll conclude with it and then go hide my face. But anyway, I, uh, several years ago, I probably 20 now, I had a young man who was traveling on our team and I thought he was responsible, and uh, I said to him, uh, listen, I, I, he was going to drive the van up here to Milwaukee, and I wasn't going to be with him, and I said, make sure that you fill the vehicle up in Indiana because the gas is cheaper there. Now, that's not true anymore. It's cheaper in Wisconsin, but in that day, it was Indiana. Okay, so I said, fill it up in Indiana, and you'll get up here to Wisconsin. I'll have almost a full tank. Now, I assumed he did it. And uh, I guess this is mistrust. I trusted him to check up with him, but I assumed he did it. But he didn't. Now, that was a 2004 Chevy, and I had uh, years before, a couple years before, had bought a 1998 GMC, both vans. 
And if you know much about those vehicles, the dashboard is pretty similar. But uh, I didn't realize this in 2004, they had switched the fuel tank. You know, the, so in other words, I can't remember which way it was, but in one, the F was up here, and the other, the F was down here. So they flipped the F and the E. Now, have you ever noticed that F and E kind of look alike? <laughs> Unless you're staring at them, you know, they kind of look alike. So I remember I hopped in the vehicle, I look at, I just kind of glanced at the gas gauge, and it was where it should have been in my old vehicle. It was exactly, it was just a new vehicle, brand new vehicle. I said, this is exactly where it should be on my 1998 GMC. I thought, yeah, he, he filled it up, got a full tank of gas, this is great. So I'm driving down 894, I think I passed the 94 interchange, and I'm going down 894, and all of a sudden, the vehicle stops working. Now, this is a brand new vehicle. I, I'm telling you, I don't think we had 2,000 miles on it. So I pull over to the side of the road, you know, coast over the side of the road, and I try to start the thing and go out there, lift the hood up, and look in the engine. I'm thinking, I don't, I don't know if that looks good to me. Uh, you know how it is. <laughs> I don't know why we preachers do that, but we kind of lift the hood, look at it. I don't get this. <laughs> so I thought to myself, man, this is, I was frustrated. I, I know I shouldn't have been, but I, I was frustrated. And, and I, uh, uh, I was on the early days of cell phone, got my cell phone out and dialed the dealership, the Chevy dealership right up here, Fall Chevrolet. And, you know, I didn't buy it from them, but of course they would honor the warranty. And I, I'm a little frustrated. I said, man, I got a vehicle down here. It won't start brand new. Bought it over in Michigan. And they were apologetic and they said, we'll come and get it. And, and so they came out, you know, with their, their deal and pulled up in front, you know, and put the thing down, er, and pulled the thing up, er, er, you know, like this. And, and uh, I called somebody, said, can you come and pick me up? And they said, we'll give you a call and we find out what's wrong. I said, okay. I was a little frustrated. Okay, whatever. I can't buy a new vehicle. Can't believe it. You know, that kind of thing. So after lunch, that was in the morning after lunch, they give me a call and they said, are you Jim Van Gelder? And I said, yeah, this is false Chevrolet. I oh, yeah, okay. I wasn't, again, real happy about it. And they said, uh, I said, well, what was wrong with the vehicle? And they said, um, it was out of gas. <laughs> Have you ever felt like an idiot? <laughs> I went over to false Chevrolet, I'm telling you. I thought to myself, you know what? I cannot give them a gospel track. Ah, I'm going to tell them I'm from St. Dominic's down here on Gad. That's what I'm going to tell them. Man, I'm telling you. I felt, I, I'm telling you, you could, I, I, I wasn't looking, but I was pretty sure every mechanic in the bay was looking at me and say, there's the guy. And I'm telling you, friends, that vehicle was brand new. It was a great vehicle, but it didn't work without fuel. And I'm telling you this, but without faith, it's impossible to please God. If you don't have the fuel of faith, you're going to feel just as foolish as I did that day. 